Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. I love your series. It's Invitations on Jesus. And what I'm sharing with you today is the invitation from Jesus to be transformed. To be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And one of the things that we have to grapple with when we think about transformation is to understand first that we have already been formed. When we are transformed, that means we're taken from one state of being to another state of being. I think a lot of times we just, we don't even think about that. We're like, no, I am who I am and this is it and nothing will ever change. But what I love about Jesus and what I love about following him is he tells us that there is infinite opportunity for you not to be the same as you used to be. There is always a chance for transformation. It's a promise of God. I want to begin with a story. I grew up in Australia. That's where I was born. And um, before I was born, my my parents are educators, and I heard all about this drama. It was a, a big drama in Australia. In 1971, the Australian government... Uh, decided that they were going to show Sesame Street in Australia. Yeah, it was scandalous. It legitimately, it was so scandalous that they had, like, Senate hearings about it, okay? Like, the government got together and they were fighting about it. Congressmen were angry at each other because they saw it as the Americanization of the world, right? And they're like, we do not need Sesame Street to teach our children their ABCs. Because if they do, they will get American accents. And this was like their deepest fear. They will start to talk like Americans. And no one wanted that. They were like, we are, you know, little Aussies, fair dinkum. We want to be who we are. And we need to keep that big threat America away. And so it was like this whole front page news, political, finally Sesame Street won out. And it took five or six years for the, for the frenzy to die down when they realized that 45 minutes a day of watching kids speak with an American accent was not enough to shift the fully immersive experience of living in another country with everyone that you know speaking the same accent, from the shopkeeper to your neighbor, to your grandma, everyone's speaking like that. So 45 minutes of TV didn't move the needle, okay? And what it proved is that what you are immersed in forms you. What you are immersed in, what you are dunked in, what you are saturated in forms you. And a little 45 minutes of TV a day is not going to move the needle. It just isn't. And the truth is, guys, from the moment you were conceived in the womb, you were being formed. And that formation was affected by the conditions of the womb that you were growing up in. I remember when I first got pregnant and they gave me this list of the vitamins I had to take and the folic acid and don't eat soft cheese. Like, when, when did soft cheese become bad? Like, don't eat the ham. Like, I'm like, I can't. What the heck? That was all of these rules. 
that suddenly I couldn't eat because it may have a negative effect on this little baby that I was carrying. Don't drink alcohol. Don't do drugs, you know? I, was, I had to give up my awesome drug habit just to be a mother, you know? <laughs> Jokes, but not really. A little bit, no. <laughs> no, put it away. I remember, if you, if you... This is the one... The one... I have many character flaws, but the one that's most obvious is my love of Diet Coke. And um, I remember I was working at a doctor's office when I was pregnant, so it was kind of great. I had access to all of these men that were doctors that, you know, knew everything. So that was helpful, I thought, for me. And so I said, guys, do I need to give up the Diet Coke? And they all just looked at me and they're like, no. <laughs> they're like, you don't know what we see in here every day. If that's your vice, you're going to be okay. Just, it's, it's all right, of all of the things. Even the anxiety of the mother, the trauma that the mother is going through when the baby is growing inside of the womb can affect the child. And it doesn't just stop when you leave the womb. From the moment we are breathing on our own, we find ourselves living in a formation pressure cooker. We learn how to react, how to respond, how to give love, how to express affection based on the environment that we're formed in. The way you think, the way that you process emotions, the way you take in information, the way you manage or handle stress, fear, excitement, you learned it. You learned how to do it many times without having any memory of the process. I was having a conversation with one of my kids and they were just, you know, being ridiculous. I mean, shocking, I know, but they're all teenagers and they're just being ridiculous. And one of them's like, this is just who I am. And I'm like, <laughs> I said, you really? And she's like, I've just always been like this. I'm like, no, you haven't. <laughs> she's like, I know who I am. And I'm like, you know what? I said, hey, you know when you put your hoodie on? I said, do you think about putting your hoodie on? She's like, no. She's like, I said, she goes, I just do it. I'm like, I taught you how to put your hoodie on. <laughs> no, you did not. <laughs> oh, yes, I did. It took me six months, every, a whole winter of teaching you. I said, you got stuck in the arms. Your head was over here. I said, every day I'd be like, we're going to learn how to put on a hoodie. But you just think you came out of the womb knowing you could wear a hoodie, putting it on. I was there. So when you say this is just who you are, lies. I have seen you your whole life. This is actually not who you are. Every part of you has been formed. And formation is not just environmental. It's not just external, right? We are born with a heart, a mind, a will, and a physical body that all combine to make a human soul. And every parent will testify again. You didn't have to teach your child how to throw a tantrum. You did not have to teach them, right, how to selfishly demand their own way. And this inner man that the Bible describes it as is hardwired to seek its own gratification. We never have to teach someone how to lie to get out of being in trouble, right? Or how to 
<laughs> take what they want from another child. They instinctively do it, right? And while humanity, that is not necessarily a bad thing, right? If it's left unchecked, right, it can turn a little child, like, like a little child throwing a temper tantrum and stealing a toy is annoying but kind of cute. If they're 25 and they're throwing a temper tantrum and stealing someone's car, that's a felony, right? It's a felony. And so if we don't get it when they're young, if we don't zoom in there and say, hey, this behavior needs to course correct, it ends up forming them into a person that can affect the world with real-life consequences. The biblical authors call this inner compulsion the sin nature, the flesh, the old man. And it's this inner formation that God cares about the most. You see, from the moment we were created as humans, it was God's desire for us that we would be formed into the image of himself. This is his desire for all of us, that we would be formed. And in the Old Testament, we see God, he reaches out to his creation. He calls them to live differently than the culture that surrounds them. He wants them to be in communion with him. God the Father was teaching and guiding his people, lovingly giving them commands that spelled out clearly how to be in right standing with God. You've probably heard of the Ten Commandments. And it was a way of God basically writing a treatise of love. Hey, this is what the, this is what the fruit of a life of love looks like. This is what it looks like. You don't steal from someone you love. You don't cheat on someone you love. You don't lie to someone you love. And that love flows out of loving me first. That you would love me and honor me first. That you wouldn't take me for granted. That you wouldn't use my name in vain. That you wouldn't give your heart and your life to other things other than me. That you would honor me and know that I am God and that you are not by pausing and taking a day off every week to meditate on me. To allow the world to go on and just be in relationship with me. But as human beings always do, we messed it up, right? And this beautiful treatise of love that God gave his people turned into perfectionism and legalism. Because isn't that what we always do? We take something that is beautiful and we turn it into something that signifies whether we are in or out, whether we're doing it right or wrong. And when Jesus came, he came to show us once and for all what God desired humanity to look like. I think God was like, okay, I've sent you the Ten Commandments, but you've messed that thing up. So now I'm going to send you me. I'm going to send you me in human form. And maybe you can form your life around me, around this human being called Jesus Christ, who is also fully God. 
Jesus came to show us what it means to be human, what it means to be transformed. And he invited us into the process of becoming like him. And step number one in the process of spiritual transformation is to admit that you have been formed in ways that are not pleasing to God. That the environment that you live in, the world that you have been immersed in, has shifted you, has formed you in ways that the Lord is like, hey, that's not my original design for you. <laughs> Step number one in the invitation of Jesus to spiritual formation is to first admit, I have been formed in ways that are broken. And in the same way, right, that, uh, okay, this was the scandal of Sesame Street. This was it. It was the accents was the number one thing, but in Australia, we don't say Z, we say Z. So, and we still say Z. So when you say X, Y, Z, we say X, Y, Z in the song. And they're like, all the kids are going to say Z instead of Z. Guys, I know, like really a lot of time was spent on this very stressful situation in Australia. <laughs> but if you talk to an Aussie kid today, they're still going to say Z. Because what we've learned is just a little bit, just going to church isn't enough. See, a lot of times we think, I go to church, that's enough to combat all of the other pressures that are out in this world. I go to church for an hour on Sunday. Yes. I'm going to say, good, good start. But if you really want to be transformed, other things need to be pushed in your life as well. There's more things that the Lord wants to do in you than just being here. Because let me tell you, you can come to church every Sunday and you're still going to say Z, not Z. <laughs> because what you're living in and what you're immersed in forms you. So I want to read, you've heard me allude to this over and over, but Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Point number one, it's a question. What is the goal of transformation? of spiritual formation, I'm going to give you the answer straight away. The answer is love. Love is the goal in spiritual formation, not perfect adherence to the rules. One of the many things that Jesus did was to show the Jews of his day that by default, God's goal from the very beginning of humanity and the very start of scripture was love. His goal was love. Even those Ten Commandments that he gave, the law of Moses, the goal was love. Matthew 22, if you don't believe me, this is, this is what Jesus said. 
Matthew 22, starting in verse 34, Jesus says this. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and all your mind. That is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. You see, the audience that Jesus was speaking to, they thought that the end goal of being a good Jew was perfection. How can I be perfect? That's what they thought. But Jesus showed them that love and not legalism is God's desire for his people. The area of Columbus that I pastor in has a high Jewish community. There's synagogues everywhere. And it's a very interesting place to have a vineyard church. <laughs> so interesting. And there are times where they um, will want, like the Jewish community will want to use our facilities for parking or for events as a huge park next to our church. And I have developed some good relationships with some of the um, Jewish leaders of the community. And I, was en I ended up having a conversation. <laughs> they were doing a kosher barbecue, big party, um, and they needed extra space. And so they asked if they could use our facility. I'm like, yeah, sure. And so he was a Hasidic Jew. And in Judaism, there's different levels, right? And he's very high, high up, high legalism, high rules. And I had a chat with him, and I was like, look, Daniel, could we, I just got some questions. He was really open. I'm like, why did you choose out of all the choices? Because you could choose to worship at all of these different synagogues. Why did you choose the one that's like the hardest? <laughs> and he said to me, he's like, because I don't trust myself. And I'm so afraid of breaking the Ten Commandments that I need all of these other laws in place that will protect me from even getting close to breaking one of the Ten Commandments. And I saw the sincerity in his heart. He just wanted to do it right. And he's like, all of these other synagogues, they skate too close to the line. <laughs> he's like, so I'd rather like, I'd rather have all the rules even the rules, he goes, that don't make sense. And he goes, and I'll admit, they don't make sense. He goes, but it keeps me safe. And that really taught me a lot about why Jesus talked about love so much, why he was such a radical, because a lot of the people that he was ministering to had that same attitude. And there's many of you in here and And you, you really struggle because you're not perfect. You don't like yourself very much because you're not perfect. Maybe you were raised in a faith tradition where 
you had to do it all right or you were kicked out. You were constantly in fear of the fires of hell if you had done something, you know, in any way wrong. There's some of you in here like that. And, and you still, even though you're here in this vineyard church and you're trying to figure it out, there's still some fear inside of you that says, I'm not doing it quite right. If you can hear anything from me today, the goal of being transformed by Jesus is love, not perfection. You will never be perfect. And God doesn't demand that of you. That's why he sent Jesus. And I know you could probably say this out of your mouth. But do you actually believe it in your heart? I want you to hear that today. The goal of spiritual transformation and spiritual formation is love. It is not rule keeping. Romans 5 further proves that point, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access to faith by this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The goal is love, not perfection. There's some of you and you're so afraid of doing it wrong that any type of talk of spiritual transformation you step away from. You back away from because you're just like, either I'm going to fail at it or I'm going to get legalistic about it or I'm going to like chastise myself or I'm going to do it wrong. And, and I'd just rather, I'd rather not even try. And you can do that. That's okay. God loves you. But I'm here to tell you today that there's an invitation from Jesus for something more. If you, I want you to hear my heart. You do not have to stay the same. There are some of you in here and there are patterns of behavior in your life that are sucking the life out of you, that are crushing you. And you feel like this is your cross to bear for the rest of your life. And I want to give you hope today. Jesus tells us that through love, the transformation can and will happen. You see, there's a couple of schools of thought when it comes to spiritual transformation. There are some people that will say, it's all God, it's all God, and I do nothing. <laughs> it's all a work of God, and I don't do anything. And then there's some other schools of thought that say, it's all on me, and I got to hope that God blesses it. But I'll do all the work, and then God will then pour out his blessing upon me if I do it all right, right? Who's ever 
felt like they've heard that somewhere along the line? Give me a hand. Like either one way or the other. It's all God, you do nothing, or it's all you and God will bless it, right? Both of those ways are wrong. You've probably heard the pithy, the pithy little Christiany statement that God loves us so much. That he loves us as we are, but he doesn't want us to stay where we are. It's a pithy statement, right? Christianese. But a lot of Christianese things are Christianese for a reason. They're Christianese for a reason because they're real, they're true. <laughs> they're true, they've been said over and over again. And I want you to hear this. What that little statement is trying to convey is this. Transformation begins with a love that is outside of us. One we didn't earn. A love that is freely given by God. But that same love is not content to stay separate from us. The loved. We are the loved. God wants to join his love with our spirit and walk with us so that we can not only receive this love, but live this love, letting it change our lives and the lives of those we touch. So, okay, if the goal is love of spiritual transformation, what's my role, right? That's what we're all wanting to know. What do I have to do? I came to church today and this lady preacher got up here and she told me how to do all this hard work and I'm just barely surviving, barely getting myself here and now you're going to tell me I have to do more? So this question too, what is my role and what is God's role in spiritual formation and transformation? The answer is there are things that only God can do. Remember in John 15, Jesus said to his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. So there's things that only God can do. But then there are also things that we must do to partner with God in the transformation. And I could talk about this in the theoretical for hours, and you would not like me very much. Or I could tell you a story. I could show you a picture of a little boy, his name's a basin. Here he is, like a little dude. One of my dearest friends, her name is Meredith. When Meredith was 10 years old, she was sitting in a church just like this and a traveling missionary came through and he talked about his work in third world countries with people, especially children that had cleft palates and hair lips and the surgery in America that was very simple to do in these countries were very, was just unavailable. And these kids, a lot of them were killed or um, ostracized from society because their face didn't work right. <laughs> their mouth didn't work right. And this missionary said to the church, he's like, following Jesus looks like something. And he said, and what I do to follow Jesus is I take my skill as a surgeon and I do as many facial repairs as possible. And at 10 years old, she was sitting in the church and she thought, I'm going to do that. That's what I'm going to do. And yeah, we've all thought that, like, I wanted to be an astronaut. Didn't become an astronaut at all. 
I also thought about, I thought about being a lot of things that I did not become. But for some reason, Meredith's like, I'm going to do it. And she did it. So she went through all of her schooling. She got her pediatric plastic surgery certification. And she applied to work on the mission field 10 years ago. And they rejected her. She got rejected. And she was so annoyed. She's like, why am I being rejected from what? Like, I'm, I'm willingly, like, taking, like, a, a low pay cut. I'm going to move to And they're like, no, you're not ready. So for the last 10 years, she's worked in Phoenix running her own um, operation out there doing pediatric plastic surgery. But last year, the call came again in her heart. I need to do this. I need to do this. So she applied again. And she was accepted. My friend Meredith, her husband Dave, and their four kids have now moved to Zambia. And they are, she's working with a medical missionary group called Cure. And she is one of only two pediatric plastic surgeons in the entire country. On her three-week job interview, <laughs> her surgery times filled up overnight. Children and their parents lined up for the whole time she was there outside of the offices for her to do what she does best. One of the boys that she treated in her three-week job interview was this boy. Now, a basin was severely burned in a cooking accident. In Zambia, most people cook over propane, open flame. And so a lot of burn accidents happen and he was a little boy when that happened. He healed from his burns. He's not bleeding. He doesn't have an open wound. But as you can tell with his arm, it formed incorrectly. There was nothing that a basin could do to fix this issue. This was his arm. And it was permanently in this position. He can't even put it down. So he has to sleep like this, walk around like this. This is his arm. The scar tissue that formed around his burns was so thick. Just, he had an arm, but it wasn't being used for the purpose that his little arm was designed to be used for, right? It wasn't a matter of trying harder. Just stretch it out, buddy. No. He couldn't do it. A basin needed medical intervention to transform his arm. An arm that had been formed into that painful position through his body's response to trauma. Right? He has a life, but is he experiencing fullness of life? No. So Meredith, the surgeon, operates... She cuts through the layers of scar tissue. She grafts new healthy skin over the damaged skin. And she set a basin's arm in the position that it was meant to be in, the way his arm was intended to work. I have another picture to show. Here it is. Look, here he is. He can stretch his arm out, right? And that's my friend Meredith, like, cheering. So I see these pictures. I'm, like, crying. And when she comes back after her three-week job interview, um, it takes about four months for, she gets the job, but four months to move the whole family. And she, I was all excited about a basin, and she's like, I am a nervous wreck. 
So what do you mean? The surgery's done. It's all fixed. And she's like, oh, Melanie, you don't understand the body's capacity to revert. She's like, the surgery is only the beginning of what needs to happen. She said, his arm will want to revert back to its old position. And if he does not do months and months of physical therapy, it will not work. And I'm like, what? And she goes, and I want to be there to make sure he's doing his physical therapy. And she goes, but I have to trust. I have to trust that this painful, slow work of him every day doing this, doing this, doing that, doing this, right? That he will do that. I have to trust that he will do that until I get back to make sure that it's healing well. And I share this story to illustrate the relationship between the doctor and the patient and how both have to work together to see healing and transformation happen. And so it is with our walk with Jesus. As Jesus clearly demonstrates and the scriptures emphasize, we are saved through an act of grace. It is unmerited. It is undeserved. We don't earn it. We receive it. It is given to us as a gift to all who choose to put their faith and trust in Jesus. I always think about the thief on the cross. If there's any, gosh, I'm so thankful for him. And if you don't know the story, when Jesus was on the cross, there was two men that were crucified next to him, and both of them were mocking him. But somehow, in some like stretch of time, he had a change of heart, one of them, one of the men. He didn't even say the sinner's prayer. I don't know what changed, but all he did was say, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. In those few hours of hanging next to Jesus on the cross, he realized, this is God. And suddenly the desperation in his spirit was like, oh, I want to be with him. I don't want to be with the other loser, the other guy on that other side, the bitter, sarcastic, critical, mocking guy. There's no life there. Look at the way this man is responding. It's completely different. And he just goes, remember me, Jesus, when you come in, in your kingdom. And Jesus just looks at him. He's like, today you're going to be with me in paradise. You're in. You're, you're like declaration of faith. Because what he said in that moment was, I believe you're the son of God. And that's it. We're in. It's a work of grace that we can't earn, Right? That's the passive part. That's the only God can do this part of our Christian lives. But there's also an active part that we get to play as we become a disciple of Jesus. And hear me, guys. Discipleship is not just for the spiritual rock stars. God takes anyone. He takes anyone. And being a disciple is not being in this, like, advanced spiritual position. We come to Christ with nothing but our need. We enter the kingdom and then we become this student of the kingdom. And once we are 
we begin that journey, there are practices we can engage in that starts to form our life in the way of Jesus, which is the life of love. A basin, our little buddy, if he doesn't do his exercises, if he doesn't do his physical therapy, the results of his surgery will be limited. It might not go all the way back here, but he's not going to have the fullness that he wants. He has to do some work himself. And so it is in the realm of the soul that we need to partner with God through the power of the Holy Spirit to reject the parts of us that have been conformed to the pattern of this world and instead choose to be formed by another world. The kingdom of God is this alternate reality to the world in which we live in. It is one where God himself rules and reigns. And it is the kingdom that Jesus lived into and out of. Everything that Jesus did, he's like, the kingdom. It's the kingdom. It's the kingdom. But it's a kingdom you don't have to travel far and wide to find. It's one that is at our very fingertips. As he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It can be accessed by faith. And this kingdom is opposed to the power structures of this world that are fueled by greed and lust and control and power. And for us to live into this kingdom, we must have an active role in the transformations of our souls. Just like a basin, we got to do our physical therapy. I don't know if any of you have ever done physical therapy, but those little exercises are dumb. Like, I went to physical therapy, and I was like, excuse me, I did this in, like, kindergarten phys ed. Like, what is going on here? Like, oh, I want you to do this. And then I want you to do this. I'm like, really? Like, this is what you've got a degree in? Like, really? Yes, really. Can you do this? And I'm like, really? I thought I'd go in here and enter a magical world of really hard things. You know what? No, it's just these basic things that we just got to do over and over and over again. Things that you've done since you were a little kid. Over and over again. Second Peter shows us the progression well, and I want to read this over you today. Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Simon Peter is just coming right out of the gate. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for the good life through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I'm just going to pause there. Look at the way that Simon Peter says, he goes, you get to participate in the divine nature. Participation means there's an active role. 
You can't participate on a team if you don't show up to the game. It's really, look, I was always benched because I'm not a good sports person. I, I saw myself as a participant even though I was benched because I cheered and stuff. I was there. But like participation means you're there. It means you're active. It means you're available. We get to actively participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Our world is terrifying. <laughs> Gosh, it is. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, Self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Wow. This progression is something that Peter himself participated in. When Peter started following Jesus, I mean, we all know his weaknesses. When you read scripture, you see Peter doing a lot of really dumb things. It kind of culminates in him being called Satan, and it's not great. And he betrays Jesus. He's not, he didn't really, if perfection was the goal, Peter would be out. <laughs> Thank goodness it wasn't. Goal was love. When Peter was restored to Jesus, Jesus asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? He didn't say, Peter, you are bad. He said, Peter, do you love me? When the goal is love and not perfection, we treat people differently. When Jesus asked three times, Peter, do you love me? It said the third time that Peter was so disturbed because Jesus asked him again. Because what Jesus was conveying is, you hurt me. You hurt me, Peter. I just need to know where you're at. I think Peter would have rather Jesus scream at him. Tell him everything that he did wrong. But again, Jesus' goal was not perfection. Jesus' goal was love. And so it is in all of our lives. God does not want you to be perfect. I mean, we have AI now. They can be perfect, apparently. God did not create us to be robots. He created us to love him. Because he desires, he is love, and he wants to be loved, and he wants the fruit of your life to be love. So when Peter talks about this progression from goodness to knowledge to self-control to perseverance to perseverance to godliness, from godliness to mutual affection and to mutual affection love, he lived this. He lived this. And if Peter had run away when he had failed, he would not be around to be able to give us this message. 